Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another edition of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the public transportation industry. Today's episode is action-packed. We've got uh, lots of headline news to bring you from around the public transportation industry, plus an amazing newsmaker interview with Doran Barnes, who's the head of Foothills Transit south of LA. We've got Mike's Minute. We've got a messaging minute. And... Uh, Take a look at the new children's book I'm writing at the end of the episode. All that on this edition of Transit Unplugged. So there's been some great news around the industry over the last week or so. We, this uh, episode is for uh, the week starting July 22nd, and for the next week, this information is, is all valid and up to date. Uh, there has been a number of transit agencies seeing an increase in ridership. As you know, the industry took a gut punch um, when COVID-19 hit. I've been actually speaking at transit agencies around the country. This last week, I spoke uh, at Jacksonville Transit uh, to some of their staff there. We've been talking about how the uh, transit industry has really been hurt, but now seems to be coming back as cities begin to open up, even as there is still some trouble with COVID-19 in many places across the country. People are getting back on transit, and that is good news. One of the big uh, leaders in this trend is New York City's MTA, America's largest transit system, and bus ridership has uh, been up uh, dramatically. I took a look at their statistics. They're one of the few major transit agencies that shows their ridership data on a daily basis. And, um, you know, that with current trending and uh, they let you see what's happening, you know, like yesterday or the day before, you don't have to wait a month or two for the data. So I took a look at the first seven days of May, the first seven days of June, and the first seven days of July. And uh, on their bus service, 33,700,015, um, we'll just round it up, 3,700,000 for the first seven days of May, uh, 4,900,000 for the first seven days of June, which was a 34% increase, and 6,800,000 for the first seven days of July, a 36.7% increase over June. So each month, uh, we're seeing increases in ridership coming into July. Cap Metro uh, did not have July's data, but... I was able to see that in April, they had a million passengers in Austin, Texas, but in May, they had a 20% increase to 1.2 million. And uh, many transit agencies like MTA Maryland and New Jersey Transit have returned back to regular service from their kind of Saturday-only schedules that a lot of them are running. New Jersey Transit has lifted the 50% capacity uh, limit on their vehicles. Uh, GCRTA in Cleveland was adding back the frequency of routes back. And so lots of services are seeing an increase in ridership, and that is good news indeed. From the headline news, we also want to bring you that Rob Gannon, uh, the general manager of King County Metro Transit in Seattle, is leaving the agency. He sent out a letter last week to all their employees and let them know he's leaving to go back to become the chief financial officer of a city government in Missoula, Montana, back in Montana where he's from. And our friend Terry White, who's current deputy general manager, will step up to become acting general manager. Congratulations to Terry, who's been there for quite a while at the agency. And Michelle Allison, the current chief of staff there, is stepping up to become deputy general manager. You might recall uh, that Rob had great success there following Kevin Desmond uh, in Seattle there as their system was named this last year as the large system of the year by the American Public Transportation Association. Rob has been a guest on our podcast and um, is a good friend and we wish him well as he decides to move on to kind of a new phase of his career. In other news, uh, MBTA is going to resume 
Fare collecting uh, has resumed fare collecting on buses, trolleys, and commuter rail starting this week. Again, another agency uh, moving back to more normal service. Uh, the European Union has announced that it is supporting the economic recovery from COVID-19 in all EU member states by injecting almost $2.2 billion of euros, uh, euro dollars into 140 key transport projects. The projects will receive funding through the Connecting Europe facility, the EU's grant scheme supporting transport infrastructure. So big money uh, and a good article on this in the Intelligent Transport magazine this last week. Uh, my friends at Sunline Transit in Coachella Valley have announced that uh, their transit agency's board of directors has approved a plan that will convert Sunline's full fleet to zero emission vehicles five years ahead of a California mandate. Uh, Sunline Transit Agency CEO General Manager Lauren Skyver said, our agency has a reputation for taking on a number of firsts in the industry, and it's an honor to be part of the progress made for clean air and alternative fuel technology. Congratulations to them as they move their entire service uh, that way to uh, zero emission. There was a big article this week in the New York Times about um, how transit ridership is up on buses as well that I covered, uh, which is interesting. And Omni, the New York Metropolitan Transit Authority's contactless fare payment system, has been activated at all subway stations in the Bronx uh, following their reader activations on Grand Concourse stations. Now more than 60% of all subways are now equipped with this. This is what's happening now. This contactless fare uh, is, is really... Um, making its presence known across the United States and Canada where people can just tap their credit card and go uh, and not have cash change hands. A couple of other interesting pieces of information from Mass Transit Magazine this week just show that things are returning a little bit more to normal. Uh, the California Transportation Foundation has awarded some grants and awards. The RTA and PACE in Chicago have begun the study of express bus service along their I-294 tollway. Again, new service uh, they're beginning to study. Uh, TransLink has upgraded the Granville Station upgrades, and uh, the LA Metro Crenshaw LAX Transit Project train testing is moving north and moving on. And the Metro Board in Chicago has approved $15.2 million contract to build a new Peterson Ridge Station. So again, things returning somewhat to a little bit more normality with ridership increasing, people moving forward with capital projects as transit agencies continue to try to pull themselves out of these low ridership numbers. In Washington, D.C., there are a number of bills which are being considered by the House and Senate, which could include a new round of funding for public transportation as well. We'll make sure we bring you those updates as they are available. Now stay tuned for our newsmaker interview with Doran Barnes, who is the head of Foothills Transit. I think you'll find it an interesting interview. And then for all the other pieces of information that come on this show, thanks so much for making us part of your life every week here on Transit Unplugged. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and thanks so much for being with us today on our program, Comfort's Corner. We bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry. And today on our newsmaker hotline is Doran Barnes. Doran is executive director of Foothills Transit near LA. Doran, thanks so much for being with us. Well, hey, Paul. It's great to be able to join you here today and uh, always look forward to catching up with you. Yes, Doran's been a longtime friend of mine and uh, so happy to finally get him on the show. We've been talking about it for a couple of years, I think, actually. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but I, I mean, this is a wild time to have you on the show, Dorm. We're in July now, in the middle of July. And uh, what a wild few months it's been, huh? It's been a crazy few months here. And I sometimes feel like we're in the 200th and something day of March because the whole world seemed to take a big shift back then. Uh, yes, but indeed, it did. We're 
here in July and uh, you know continuing to uh, to work through the uh, the many challenges that present us, many that we just couldn't have expected back uh, when all this started. That's right. And uh, uh, before we get into that, let's take a step one step to the side and. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your service. You've been, um, you know, I got to know you when you were chairman of APTA, and, um, but you've had a long career in transit and you lead one of the premier transit agencies in the country. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, Foothill Transit is the primary fixed route uh, operator in the San Gabriel Valley of Los Angeles County. Uh, we're a midsize operation, 370 buses in our fleet. Uh, and we only operate fixed route service. There are other operators that operate um, uh, paratransit uh, countywide. I actually sit on the board of the agency that provides that service. Um, there are also local operators. We interface with LA Metro and a uh, number of other services, not only in Los Angeles County, but also our colleagues in San Bernardino County next door, Omnitrans, uh, OCTA in Orange County, just to the south of us. Um, so we, again, we're, we're part of this broad mix of, of services. Uh, we connect 22 cities in the San Gabriel Valley together and also provide commuter express service into downtown Los Angeles. Uh, so we're, we're big enough to be able to do things that are really interesting, small enough to be, uh, to be nimble and creative and innovative. 370 fixed route buses. 370 fixed route buses. That's good. And um, do you operate them yourself uh, with your own employees or do you contract any of them out or how does that work? We, we do not operate them directly. Um, since Foothill was, uh, was created, one of the, the founding principles of the organization was to really try to blend the best of the private sector with the best of the public sector. Public sector setting policy, providing resources, private sector actually delivering and executing uh, the program. So we contract out uh, for all of our day-to-day -day operations. Uh, we have two separate operating facilities. We have two contracts and two contractors that each operate about half of our service. And, and who are those contractors, if you don't mind me asking? No, absolutely. Um, uh, Keolis is our operator at our Pomona operating facility, uh, and Transdev is the operator at our facility that sits on the border of Irwindale and Arcadia. Very good. And how long have you been there now, Dorn? Um, I've, I've been with the agency now, uh, gosh, I was counting back, 22 years. I uh, spent mm -hmm. four and a half years as a deputy executive director uh, actually left for two years and served as the CEO of the transit system in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then came back and have served as uh, CEO here at Foothill Transit since uh, 2003. So right, 17 a, years as CEO. How do, you, how do you interact some, I know we've had this conversation just recently actually on the phone, but how do you interact with LA Metro and Phil Washington and all that? Because you're kind of part of that larger metropolitan area, right? But you're not, not part of LA Metro, you're your own separate agency. We're a separate independent agency. Um, LA Metro is an interesting organization in that it really has, it has a number of important roles that it plays in the county. Uh, one of the roles that LA Metro plays for us is that they are the regional funding organization for all of the transit operators in Los Angeles County. So all of the local sales tax funding, the federal funding, the state funding flow through LA Metro and then on to us as local operators. So in many respects, I think of Phil as my banker or my, uh, uh, my financing arm, if you will. Um, he's a great partner and a great friend, and um, we work very closely with Phil on those regional responsibilities that Metro holds. Um, separately, Metro is uh, the largest direct operator of service in the region. And so from a different standpoint, we coordinate uh, almost constantly with, with Phil and his team on that interface, because at the end of the day, it's not about 
just riding Foothill Transit, just riding LA Metro. It's about getting people to the places they need to go. And they don't stop at the edge of our service area or the edge of the LA Metro service area. So it really is about coordinating across the region to meet those mobility needs. And you also coordinate through Access Services, right? Your paratransit uh, provider? Well, Ac Access Services is the paratransit provider for all of Los Angeles County. And um, if you look at Los Angeles County, there are actually 44 independent fixed route operators just in Los Angeles County. Wow. If you think about paratransit, and if we had to stand up 44 separate paratransit programs, it would, it would be chaos. And so the region created Access Services as a separate public agency that provides that ADA um, uh, service uh, on behalf of all of the 44 operators. Uh, I had the honor of serving on the board of directors of Access Services, really independent from my role at Foothill Transit, but it gives okay. me some great insights into the good work that they're doing. And the executive director there is? Um, the executive director there is Andre Coles. Yes. Uh, Andre's been a, uh, a longtime colleague and friend. He actually was part of the Foothill Transit team uh, way back in the day. And uh, Andre's doing a great job for us, and it's a, a real pleasure to work with him. Yeah, I got the honor of uh, visiting him and his operation, I think about a year ago, uh, when he was a guest last year on the show. So okay. now let's move, let's move into the present day and talk about uh, COVID-19 and the crisis and how it has impacted the LA metro area. We talked to Phil Washington maybe about a month ago. He was a guest on the show and he filled us in from his perspective. But walk us through, you know, since March, what's been happening in Foothills and where are you at today? And, and then we'll get into what we see coming next. Yeah, it's, it's been, um, you know, I, I think this, the, the whole presence of COVID has really caused us to rethink what we're doing and reprioritize really what historically has been our role. But so much of our emphasis has been over the last number of years on ridership, building ridership, growing ridership, which is really important. Uh, but what I think COVID has done for us is, is refocused the fact that we are essential service providers, that we're getting folks that work at the hospital to the hospital so they can care for people who are dealing with health issues. Um, you know, we transport people that get to the grocery stores, that put the products on the shelves that people need to be able to live their lives. And that's always been a part of our mission. The, 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 the brightness of that has really changed in light of what's happened with COVID. Um, we've actually, we made the decision pretty early on to continue operating our full complement of local service uh, throughout the entire crisis. So even when LA County was on uh, the, the safer at home order where essentially, you know, only go out for essential services and trips, we were still running our full service, again, because of the importance of getting people to those essential jobs and essential functions. Uh, today, we're actually operating about 98% of our service. Uh, we're carrying about 50% of our pre-COVID um, um, passenger loads. <clears throat> and so again, if you look at it from a traditional standpoint, you know, if you think of rides as sales, and if you say, well, sales are down 50%, production should be down 50%, that's kind of that private sector approach. We've really looked at it to say, no, we're strategically providing service at a very high level so that we can create the social distancing that's important from a health standpoint. The only services that we're not operating today are the services that primarily um, uh, focus on middle and uh, high school uh, services where, of course, those aren't in operation, so there's really no need. That makes sense. And what have you done uh, kind of mitigation efforts besides run the full service? Have you cut fares? Have you cleaned the vehicles more? Have you, you know, done masks? Tell me about those kind of things. All, all of the above. And I think they're all really important right now. Um, okay. Again, 
Our board made a decision early on to go to rear door boarding to create some distancing between the coach operator and, and the customers. Uh, when we did that, we suspended fare collection. So we have not been collecting fares or enforcing fares um, during the period of the crisis. Uh, we've installed a, a temporary plastic barrier. It's, I think of it like a shower curtain almost, where right. um, there's an additional protection between the coach operator and the riders. We've encouraged riders to space out and social distance or physically distance on board the coach. Um, we've also had a very, very strong campaign where we've, um, uh, we've encouraged the wearing of face coverings. Um, we've, we've done everything short of saying it's absolutely mandatory. And it is mandatory in LA County. The challenge that we've run into there is enforcement. And so most of our riders are complying, but that again is one of those, uh, one of those ongoing challenges. Uh, we've, had, we've done enhanced cleaning at, uh, at all levels uh, in terms of uh, overnight cleaning, during the day cleaning. So really tried to step up in light of the crisis, try to create as safe of an environment as we possibly can for both our riding public, but also for our, our frontline coach operators who are out there delivering that service. And how about technology? Have you leaned on technology more? Like, are you moving uh, in any way to try to kind of future-proof the agency, you know, either getting out of this plus what's next? I, I think in some respects we've leaned on technology, although we've always been leaning on technology. So I can't say there's been a giant shift in part okay. because we were already moving in that direction. Yes, um, you have been one of the foremost agencies doing that, I think. Yeah, we, we've, we've upgraded our, our, um, our global positioning system uh, equipment and capabilities there. We are, we're in the process of, of redesigning our website. We're definitely thinking about what the future looks like in terms of, of transit riders. And we see technology being a, a big driver of that. Uh, really, we saw that before COVID, and COVID just puts an even brighter light on that. I think that's exactly right. So, so what are, can you share with us any of the kind of where you think things are going? I mean, you know, here we are in the middle of, uh, I know it's, it's uncharted territory, but yeah. I mean, you're one of the leaders in our industry. Where, where are we going as an industry? Uh, you mentioned the fact that, you know, finally, uh, we're maybe seen as a, a real essential service by yep. some of the political folks, especially in Washington, who yep. now have stepped up and provided more funding. That's a good thing, I think. Uh, but where else are we headed as an, as an industry, you know, for public transportation? Yeah, I think the, the essential service part of it is something that I think we need to continue to focus on, continue to make sure that our community is aware that that's uh, an incredibly important aspect of what we do um, and, uh, and continue to lean in on that space. The, the other thing that, that I I'm, I'm find that we're talking a lot about, and it again, you have to rethink, I think, our role in the community, but that's the whole notion of telework. Um, you know, we've, we've spent uh, uh, just an incredible amount of time, resources, effort, energy on moving to alternative propulsion technologies. We need to continue to do that. We need to continue to lead in that space. But in many respects, I, if I think about where we're going as a community, if we can reduce vehicle miles traveled, if we can reduce the number of vehicles on the roadway, that has an incredibly positive impact both from uh, a sustainability standpoint and from a, a um, infrastructure use standpoint. And it may be a little counterintuitive to say, boy, the transit operators are encouraging people to telework. If our metric is getting people through the front door, that's kind of working against us. But I really view our role as being much bigger than that. And, and that's really of providing mobility options. And an important part of that, I think, is going to be telework. So I think that's a trend we have to watch super closely. We have to make sure that we're properly engaging and supporting that. 
And we have to realize that having people telework again is good for our communities. It may not drive people through the front door of our coaches, but it has a positive community impact. And ultimately, I think that's what we're really all about. That's good. I, I did an interview last week with someone who was on a podcast who asked me, you know, how do you know when public transportation is successful? And I think that's what you're talking about here is changing maybe or adding to the traditional metric of ridership, some other societal goals. Is that right? Absolutely. I think it's not, again, I think we have to move away from this notion that it's all about ridership. That, you know, if you equate ridership to sales and it's all about sales, that drives us in some directions that I think ultimately may not be the best solution for our community. If we can provide really high quality transit service and if we can encourage people to telework where it makes sense a few days a week, ride public transit the days that they aren't teleworking, that's really powerful stuff. That's good. And I guess uh, kind of the last area I wanted to explore with you is um, uh, over the last couple of years, we've seen an explosion of alternate transportation options uh, and people are moving toward you know, different types of micro transit, for-profit companies. Well, they're, they're considered for-profit, although a lot of them haven't made a profit yet. Right, right. The scooters, the bikes, the Ubers, the lifts, you know, and all these things. How do you see the role of them adjusting or changing, if at all, you know, in a post-COVID world or, or maybe helping us recover? Well, again, I think we have to be looking at all the mobility solutions. And, and I think we have to be looking at the alternatives. I think we have to be um, closely examining some of the institutional barriers that have been in place to making those things happen. Um, but ultimately, I think they, they have to be part of the dialogue. They have to be part of the discussion. And we have to figure out, again, how do we maximize the full scope of services to best serve the community? And that comes from the standpoint of, of environment, that comes from the standpoint of social equity, that comes from the standpoint of mobility. I think those big, big picture goals are gonna be critical as we move into this post-COVID phase. Um, ultimately, if we can reduce traffic congestion, we can reduce the use of non-consumable fuel, we can reduce the impact on transportation infrastructure. That gives us a better community. And, and to me, that's really what we've got to stay focused on. Very good. Thank you, Doran Barnes, Executive Director of Foothills Transit in LA. Thank you so much for a look at what's happening and taking us, I think, in the right direction as an industry. Uh, it's an honor to be with you. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm Alea Carey, a communications professional who loves working with public transit agencies. Maintaining good relationships between your agency and journalists requires consistency and attention in the best of times. It's become considerably more of a challenge in the age of COVID-19, when journalists' workload has increased because of newsroom layoffs and a relentless news cycle. What's the best way to keep in touch with reporters now and ensure coverage of your top stories? Here are a couple of things I keep in mind. First, consider soft-sounding your list rather than just sending out press releases. Send a quick personal note, I keep these to under three lines, summarizing the story and asking if the reporter is interested in learning more. Next, consider meeting them where they are. A lot of reporters hang out, so to speak, on Twitter, where they exchange ideas and promote their own work. If your Twitter account isn't following key reporters and engaging with their content there, I highly recommend it. 
Finally, now is a really good time to double down on key relationships. Take advantage of the world's tough circumstances to deepen those relationships by asking what you can do for reporters now, not the other way around. They may not cover your story this time, but you're building a relationship you can return to. If you'd like to talk more about press relations or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. This is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director of Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, and leadership with the hopes they'll inspire you to pay it forward. As we are in various phases of startup in communities across the nation, with continued challenges in many of those states and communities and fears of what may happen in the future, these can be key mentoring and leadership moments. Keeping positive, keep empowering employees, and remembering, it has been remarkable to see how far we've come in this industry how transit has adapted and continued to provide service with some of the greatest challenges and unknowns we've ever seen. There are, however, days that can be deflating due to setbacks. It is key at these times to focus on small victories, celebrate them, and celebrate the people that made them possible. Again, resonating where kindness, leadership, and mentorship all intersect, and the importance of all three. Be the first to smile, be the first to compliment, be the first to forgive, and most of all, be the first to lead to the next task. I did also want to bring attention to another great random act of kindness we saw in our industry last week. Tim Hortons Canada reached out to the Toronto Transit Commission in Ontario and offered to set up a mobile coffee trailer drive through so the operators could pull up to the window and grab a coffee on morning pullout as a thanks to the essential operators and transit staff that have continued to provide service and keep people moving. Kindness is cool. Pay it forward and thanks for listening. get to the part of uh, today's episode of Comfort's Corner where we do normally a reading from my book, The Future of Public Transportation. As you know, this book came out in March of this year, 2020, uh, and it has uh, over 40 chapters with 40 experts from around the world lending their uh, voice to what they think the future of public transportation will hold for us. And as we've seen, most of their predictions and most of their um, thoughts have uh, been more true now than ever uh, as we're into this COVID-19 crisis and hopefully coming out of it some. Uh, so many of the things from microtransit to uh, uh, high-speed rail, et cetera, are all now more than ever happening and coming true. Most of us who listen to this Transit Unplugged podcast are involved somehow in the public transportation industry. And many of us have nephews and nieces and children and grandchildren who we've tried to tell what we do for a living, but maybe sometimes they haven't been able to really get a, get a full understanding of it, what the future might hold in public transportation, how cool it is. So I decided to do something about that. Most of you know that I have, uh, my wife and I have been married over 30 years and have six children. We now have five grandchildren. And, you know, I try to talk to them some about public transportation off and on. 
But you know, they say the old adage, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I decided to follow that adage and uh, have worked on over the last six months developing a new book called Public Transportation, a children's picture book. And the subtitle is From the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. I've been working with an illustrator and I'm happy to report to you that we're almost done. Uh, normally every weekend I spend several hours on the book uh, reviewing it and working on pictures and the text and the graphics with my artist, Sudeep KP. And uh, we're getting close to probably 80 to 90% done. I'm very excited about it. And I just wanted to let you know that it should be coming your way uh, later in August. And I'm hoping that schools will use this as a you know, curriculum book for young children. It, it can be you know, read to young children as young as three, four, or five. Um, probably better for, you know, for kids who can read and want to read it themselves probably six, seven years old, up to age 14 or 15. My youngest daughter's 14. I had her read through the draft and look at all the pictures this weekend, and she thought it was pretty cool. And it has everything from, like I said, the Tom Thumb Railroad, a picture of the race that happened, um, and you know, discussion about how 1830 was a magical year for public transportation as the B&O Railroad got started in Baltimore, Maryland for passengers, and then a picture of you know, the old uh, Tom Thumb Steam Railroad racing the horse. And then on most of the pages, I have a fun fact or did you know a little bullet. And my, my, one of my daughters suggested to me that she really enjoyed that in books when she was a kid. Little fun fact. So here you got the picture, a really nice drawing of the race between the Tom Thumb Railroad, which was the first, you know, railroad put on the, uh, to, to put on a little race with a horse to show people, you know, how the train could be better and faster. But the fun fact is the very first steam locomotive was the Tom Thumb steam train, which raced a horse but lost when it broke down. <laughs> and it's true, there's all kinds of interesting things like that that I didn't know. We go through chronologically the history of public transportation, you know, going up to places like in 1869, we had the Promontory Summit, Utah, the dedication ceremony of the Transcontinental Railroad to cable cars. And you know, the did you know fact there is that they don't have their own engines. They have powerful motors and barns at the end of the street and things like that that maybe kids just didn't know. And uh, there, there's all kinds of interesting things. We go right through the history, through the L train in Chicago, the New York subway, how tokens work. My dad used to grow up in Brooklyn, New York, and he used to tell me about how for just a few pennies, he could buy a token and ride on the subway anywhere it went in the city. And so we've got a, I've actually got a, you know, had a picture of a, I had a real token, a bus token, uh, one of the old style ones. And so we had him, the artist draw one of those and talk about that, about monorails and uh, even school buses, and then we get into kind of the future GPS, gold positioning satellite, and how, what that does, and bikes and scooters. So we even got you know, electric buses, mobility as a service. Um, when I went to Switzerland a couple years ago, I got to ride on Trapezio, uh, which is the, uh, the first autonomous vehicle uh, in the world that's in regular bus route service. And so we've got a picture of that, and we even talk about Maglev, and then Hyperloop, and then the air, you know, um, the next phase of public mobility may be air travel using small electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles called VTOLs. And you might remember, but uh, last November, I was in uh, Las Vegas for Go Nevada. Uh, the, the CEO of the transit system there and some other folks, MJ Maynard, had asked me to come and moderate a panel on the future of public transportation. And on my panel were people from Uber Air and the unmanned drone group and also uh, Hyperloop One at the time it was called, now it's Virgin Hyperloop. I think it was Virgin Hyperloop then as well. But, uh, you know, the next day at the Consumer Electronics Show there in Las Vegas, Uber Air, you know, 
uh, displayed their brand new Uvital vehicle or their brand new Vital vehicle. So all these kind of cool things are going to be in this book. I think it'll be um, it'll be great for our children, for homeschool groups, uh, to, for their kids. Um, you know, for people to give to gifts. I've had people, one lady email me the other day and said, you know, I'm going to get six of these for. Um, children and her family, et cetera. So I'm very excited about it coming out. I think it can help us pass our passion for public transportation onto the next generation. It's so important, especially coming out of COVID-19, where public transportation has kind of been denigrated by public officials and said, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's a scary time for public transit, you know, be careful. Uh, when, you know, public transportation is, can be safe and is clean, will help our environment, will help us for our future. And uh, I want to make sure our kids get that message as well. So that's the whole uh, purpose of the book is to pass on, you know, the, the wonder of public transportation to our children. I hope you'll enjoy it when it comes out. It should be ready uh, by the end of August. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to, all the, all the major magazines in the transit industry have told me they'll cover it and review it and all. So very excited about it coming out to help us, uh, especially those of us who work in the industry, spread the news to young people about how cool and how important and how special public transportation can be for them, maybe help them, you know, think positively about it, obviously now, and then even think about it as a career in the future, something cool they could be involved in. So thanks for being with us today on this episode of Comfort's Corner Transit Unplugged, where we always try to bring you what's happening in public transportation today. Thank you and stay safe.